So good to see all you brave souls here in the congregation, and so good to imagine all you folks that are in the pod congregation. Uh, it's just good to gather together, whether online or in-house like this. As we begin to enter the third year of this pandemic, boo-hoo. I thought I'd get more booze than that. Uh, so we're, we're in the middle of this Omicron spike, and the CDC is, uh, or we now have in uh, this Twin Cities area, a mandate on masks indoors. And so uh, we ask everyone to be masked up uh, when they're here until the spike goes down, until they... Uh, Thing starts to level off, and let's just be praying that we don't have another some variant coming along. To it's been like the fourth one of these things we've had, and I'm getting fatigued. Anyways, um, we are here, and we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount these days. Oh, but if you're visiting for the first time, I'm Greg Boyd, and I'm a teaching pastor here at the church. And uh, so we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we came to the part of the Sermon on the Mount where we're dealing with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so we're using this as an occasion to have a, a, a series on prayer. And um, we lo- noted last week that there's a lot of different kinds of prayer, and we'll be talking about some of those uh, in weeks to come. But we're focusing now on, on intercessory prayer, or what's called petitionary prayer. Uh, I like to call it partnering prayer, because the whole purpose of this prayer is to partner with God to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's part of the Our Father. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we saw that in James 5, and there's other verses that, that say this as well. It, it says in verse 16 that, that uh, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. It accomplishes things in the world. It releases the, a power from in heaven, like a reservoir of power that has been set aside that we access through prayer that brings about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And because things really hang in the balance, uh, it's a matter of urgency that the people of God are, are, are praying and that we see God's will about who do we're, we're to pray for, who do we take responsibility for, and, and, and who we're supposed to cover in prayer. So prayer is powerful and effective. But that brings up this question, and we're not afraid of questions around here. It's a hard one. We celebrate, uh, you know, often when, when, when we see prayer answered, especially in miraculous ways, we celebrate those stories, and we should. You pray for something, and kingdom breaks through, and um, miracle happens, uh, praise God for that. In fact, if that happens in your life, send in your testimony. We like to collect those things. They, 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 they build up faith. But if we're really honest, we have to, well, I, I, maybe your life's different, but if I'm really honest, I'll tell you that I often don't see the impact that my prayer makes. In fact, if I'm really honest, I'll say that more often than not, I don't see with my own eyes the impact that prayer is having. Um, and so the question is, if, if, if prayer is so powerful, if it's a matter of urgency that we pray, if things really hang in the balance, why don't we see more happening as a result of prayer? Why is it sometimes you pray for something that would seem to be really clearly God's will, and yet it doesn't come to pass? Why? I, I uh, will tell you this. So the, the title of this uh, message is, is When Prayer Goes Unanswered. And... Um, this is one of those messages, we do these once in a while, it, it, it's going to be a little bit heady, especially if you haven't heard this before, and so put on your thinking caps and get ready to lean in on this, and if uh, you haven't heard us talk about this before, an answered prayer issue, um, and you're relatively new to the church, well then, you, this, you, this may conflict with things that you've assumed about prayer and about God and things like that. 
And so I just encourage you to have an open mind. Uh, just take this in. And if you find an answer that's better than the one I'm going to be providing here, then by all means, embrace that and tell me about it. Uh, I'm giving you here my take on, on why prayer goes unanswered sometimes. This is not just an academic issue. It's not just a, something that theologians uh, should discuss. A anyone who has like, really poured yourself out in praying for somebody that you love <clears throat> and, and really just <clears throat> utterly just spent yourself in, emotionally and spiritually just interceding for somebody and yet it didn't come to pass. Uh, it can be a really deflating experience. Uh, it can affect your faith. My, my dad actually, <clears throat> he lost his faith in part because uh, uh, prayer wasn't answered. Uh, here's a picture of my father, um, my, our whole family. And um, this was taken two months before my mother died. Her, her name's Arlisle. That's Debbie is the, my older sister. She's the one standing up. And Chris is, uh, she's holding my brother Chris's shoulder. He's, he was probably four at the time. I was uh, just under two years old. And that's the cute guy right by my dad there with that curi those curious eyes. And that's my sister, Anita. And she's only five months old here. Um, they actually found out that my mom had leukemia uh, while she was giving birth, or right after she gave birth to my, my younger sister. Uh, she died on February 14th, 1958, Valentine's Day. And my dad wrote about this event in a correspondence that we had over a three-year period of time. Uh, it's published in the book called Letters from a Skeptic. And my dad would just raise objections and questions about Christianity, and I would try to answer them and give him reasons why I think it's true. And we went back and forth. Here's what he says in Letters from a Skeptic. He says, if God is interested in us, why is prayer so totally unsuccessful? That's the question that we're dealing with here today. When our Lyle was dying, we all prayed till we were blue in the face. Even you kids prayed. Maybe God doesn't listen to the prayers of sinful adults, but he should at least have heard the cries of you kids. Instead, you kids were left motherless, and that set in motion a rather unfortunate history you yourself know only too well. If God had been personally concerned about us, Greg, he'd have spared your mother and spared all of us a tremendous amount of pain. My dad couldn't reconcile this idea that God was all good. He, he was a believer at this time. He was Catholic. We were all Catholic when my mom died. And uh, he couldn't reconcile this idea that God is all good and cares about us with the, the fact that God did not heal our mother despite the fact that we prayed till we were blue in the face. Uh, I think like, like many Christians, maybe I could say like most Christians, dad assumed that if God's all powerful, that means he can do anything he wants. And so if uh, you pray for someone and they're not healed, it can only be because God didn't want them to be healed. In fact, if, God, if, if being all-powerful means that God can just snap his fingers and get anything he wants, then you'd have to say that everything in the world right now is exactly what God wants. Because if he didn't want it, he'd snap his fingers and get rid of it. So now you have to say that all of the horrors of this world, all the wars of this world, all the killings of this world, all the pandemics of this world, and all the other nasty stuff that goes on in this world is exactly what the Father wants, because if he didn't want it, he'd stop it. He'd snap his fingers. But see, that view, that assumption, it makes God the author of evil. The only reason that, that, that evil is here is because God wants it. 
because if he didn't want it, he could snap his fingers and get rid of it. But of course, that is not the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. The God revealed in Jesus Christ, as we just sung about so wonderfully, is, is uh, a God whose very essence is love, other-oriented love. Because God's other-oriented love, that's who, that's who God is. Uh, uh, God is on the side of life and flourishing, not on the side of death and suffering. God's not the author of evil. On top of that, the Bible's clear that God doesn't always get his way. Read the Bible. The whole storyline is about God trying to get his way. Um, well, I, you know, the Lord's Prayer, we mentioned this last week. We pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer presupposes that God's will is not being 100% done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're praying to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Because right now, it's not all God's will on earth as it is in heaven. God isn't getting everything God wants. He doesn't just snap his finger and get his way. Uh, we saw last week that, that, that human beings and celestial beings, angels, principalities, and powers, and others, we have the capacity to resist God's will. We're free agents. So we can say no to God's will. And you see this throughout the whole Bible. Uh, one example is, is Luke 7, where it says here that, by refusing to be baptized by John the Baptist, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Look at that. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. God had a good purpose for them, a good plan for them. He wanted them to flourish. But they have the capacity to say no to that and go their own way. They have the, they have the, they have the capacity to thwart God's plan for their own life and to some degree thwart God's plan for others because these are leaders, these are teachers. This is why Jesus calls them blind leaders of the blind. They use their free agency to interfere with God's will for themselves and for others. And then on top of that, you find throughout the Bible, God sometimes is frustrated with things. God's sometimes disappointed, uh, grieved, angered. All emotions that make zero sense if God is getting exactly what God wants. You're only frustrated because things that aren't going the way that they're supposed to go. So if prayer is unanswered, you can't just assume that it was God's will that the person died or whatever it was that you were praying for. And where any disaster happens, you can't say that, oh, that was God's will. Um, and I have every reason to believe that, that it was God's will for my mother to be healed, basing that on the ministry of Jesus. His whole ministry is spent with people who have afflictions. Never once does he suggest that people are afflicted because that was the Father's will. In fact, the Gospels always identify, uniformly, without exception, identify sicknesses and illnesses as having a demonic origin, either directly or indirectly. This is a work of the enemy. And Jesus reveals the Father's will and the Father's character by freeing people from their afflictions. So I have every reason to believe that, that, that God, revealed in Jesus Christ, wanted my mother to be healed. And I have every reason to believe, because the Scripture teaches us this, that the prayers that we prayed for my mom, and here you can fill in anything you want in terms of praying for somebody who's in, who's in need. I'm just using my mom as this illustration. But I have a reason to believe that when we prayed, it made a difference. It releases power from heaven. More of God's will is brought into the world than would have otherwise been there. And yet, for whatever reason, I'll talk more about this in a second, whatever reason, it wasn't possible for my mother in this circumstance to be healed. It wasn't possible. God couldn't just snap his finger and, and say, okay, I want her to be well. 
He's partnering with us to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. But in this case, more of his will was brought down. It would have been worse without our prayer, but it wasn't able to save my mother. Now, I, I can hear someone thinking right now, what do you mean it wasn't possible? We're talking about an omnipotent God. How could it not be possible? My Bible says, with God, all things are possible. And doesn't that mean that God can then snap his fingers and get whatever he wants? But Jesus does teach this. With God, all things are possible. But it's always important, as we always teach around here, to always put verses in context and read them in their, 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 their whole setting that they're in. So here's what we find in Matthew 19, verses 23 through 26. Uh, Jesus had just talked to this rich young lawyer and said that if you want to enter in the kingdom movement that, that he's inaugurating here, uh, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the guy was unwilling to do that. So he walked away and Jesus was sad about that. But then he says this to his disciples. Surely I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Notice that the topic on the table that they're talking about is the difficulty of rich people entering into the kingdom. Uh, it's hard to uh, die to your life to find your true life and hard to, let, to live as though you have no possessions when you have so many of them and you're clinging to them. Um, this is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor. They have one advantage. They don't have their, they don't have their clutch on, on the things of the world as much as, as wealthy people do. So the topic is talking about how hard it is for, for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking metaphysics. And he's saying that with, with human beings, it'd be impossible to change the heart and mind of a person who's clinging to their wealth. Human beings couldn't do that. But with God, all things are possible. The point is God can reach into the hardest heart. God can reach into the inner recesses of someone and work his influence there. But notice, Jesus isn't saying that with God, it's certain that a rich person can get into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that it's impossible without God, but with God, it's possible. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Rich people still have their free will. They can still reject God's purposes for themselves. In fact, far from suggesting that, that God can snap his fingers and just transform a rich person in, in, to be a kingdom person, I mean, if God could do that, then everyone would be a kingdom person because that's what God would want. But far from suggesting that, Jesus grants that it's hard. It's hard. It's challenging. But with God, it is possible. So this verse is sometimes taken to, he's speaking about a metaphysical truth. And you have a genie's finger-snapping deity who can transform anything just about like that. But in fact, I think it's a misapplication of the verse. Um, so, so to go a little deeper on this idea, this possible-impossible thing, I want to look at the most famous unanswered prayer in the Bible. And that's the one that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his arrest. Uh, Jesus, it says this in Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus went a little further and he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, if it is possible. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Look at this. Here in the 11th hour, Jesus is asking, as he's facing the horror of the cross, which would involve him bearing the sin of the world, and, uh, and, and, and experiencing separation from the Father. The all-holy Son of God is going to experience this 
the sin of the world and, and, and the, the, the son who has been forever united with the father in perfect love is now going to experience separation. And that far more than the physical pain of the cross, which itself was horrifying, but even more so, that would have been unthinkably horrifying to him. And so as he's facing this hour, he says, Father, is there any way that we can achieve our plan of, of, of vanquishing the kingdom of darkness and, and reconciling the world to yourself? Can we, is there any way to achieve this plan without me having to go through that? Is it possible? Well, in this case, it wasn't possible. Um, it had to happen. But the fact that Jesus asked in the 11th hour, Father, is there any way to have a change of plans here? Uh, the fact that Jesus asked, this shows that in other, time, in other instances, it is possible. And Jesus knows the mind of the Father better than any human being in history. And, and, and apparently it's impossible sometimes to intercede and to uh, change God's plans. In fact, I can show you at least 39 times in the Bible where that happens. Um, but in this case, it wasn't possible. In this case, the Father knew that the only way to vanquish the kingdom of darkness and to reconciling the world unto himself was for Jesus to die this horrific death, which itself suggests that it wasn't possible for the Father just to snap his fingers and get rid of the kingdom of darkness and reconcile the world to himself. Uh, no, there's a process that had to be gone through. And so since that was the, that was the only way for this to happen, that was the Father's will. And since that was the Father's will, Jesus humbly submitted to that will. But it's clear that this wasn't the Father's ideal will. Um, if God had his, his ideal will, there wouldn't have been a kingdom of darkness in the first place. If God had his ideal will, the world wouldn't need reconciling. This is the Father's will given the fact that there is a kingdom of darkness. And this is the Father's will given the fact that the world is estranged from God. God couldn't just snap his fingers and get done with the kingdom of darkness and, and couldn't just snap his fingers and, and reconcile the world unto himself. The process had to go, be, go through. It wasn't possible any other way. Now, the Bible teaches us that there's a number of things that are impossible for God. Here's, here's just a couple of them. Uh, the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. <clears throat> God cannot change his, his, his immutably perfect character. God can't break covenant. And God can't stop loving you. He loves like the rain falls, like the sun shines, Jesus says. Uh, and that's how, 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 how we're to love. And so it's, God is, his very essence is love, and so it's impossible for God to stop loving. And God's very essence is truth, so it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for, God is by definition the perfect being, and for that being to do something imperfect, let alone evil, would be uh, a contradiction in terms. It'd be like saying, God can create a married bachelor, or God can create a round triangle, or God can create an honest politician. It just can't happen. Some things are impossible. <laughs> Sorry. If you're a politician, I, don't take it personally. <laughs> so God can do, th those are not things that, that, that are doable, because they're not things at all. They're a contradiction, A and not A. So I want to suggest to you one other thing that is a contradiction that God can't do. It's impossible. And if we grasp this, then I think we can begin to understand why God can't always get what God wants. So last week, I, I, I noted how God gave free agency to human beings and to celestial beings, the angels, principalities, and powers, and the like. I gave us free will. So let's think about what that entails. Free will is, I'm, I'm free if I, I get to decide which way I'm going to go. 
I can go this way to this degree. Let's say this is God's will. This is the way God wants me to go. Or I could go this way to this degree. I could reject God's purpose and plans for me and, and go my own way. It's, that's what free will means. Now, suppose God were to uh, snap his fingers and revoke my ability to go this way, the bad way, because he doesn't like it. Um, well, if that's the case, he takes away that. Well, then clearly God did not give me the capacity to go this way to this degree or that way to that degree. If God gives me the ability to go this way to this degree or that way to that degree, it can't be revoked by definition. It's a contradiction. Or you can think of it as this way. God can't lie. He tells us he gives us the ability to go this way or that way, but then he, 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 he takes it back. Free will, if it's authentically given to us, is by definition irrevocable. So if we decide to go that way, God has to let us go that way. Given that he's given us this, um, he can't just snap his fingers and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. He has to then work around it uh, and, 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 and find ways to, to, to mitigate against it. We can reject God's purpose and plans for ourselves. See, this is why the Bible emphasizes God's wisdom in running the universe as much as God's power. Now think about this. You only need wisdom if you have to, if you're dealing with intelligent free agents. If, if you're running a universe surely by your power and determining whatever comes to pass, you don't need any wisdom. You know, God would no more need wisdom running a universe that he controls than I need wisdom to wiggle my little pinky. Oh, look what I can do. I have power over my pinky. Well, of course I have power over my pinky. It's my pinky. And of course, God could create that world if he wanted to where he controls everything. But it would be a world that was incapable of love. The only kind of world that has any value, that, that, that is capable of love, is, is a world where there are free agents. And so God needs wisdom. You need wisdom on, 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 on how to outmaneuver those who are, who are using their say-so against you. So this brings us back, full circle, to the garden, where Jesus is praying that prayer. Why wasn't it possible for God to just snap his fingers and vanquish the kingdom of darkness and just snap his fingers and reconcile the world back to himself. And the answer I submit to you is that God has given human beings and celestial beings say so that is irrevocable. And so now God has to achieve his purposes working around all of that. And the cross reveals the wisdom of God in doing that. So we read this in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden. Why was it secret and hidden? Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this world understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, these rulers here are the celestial beings, the principalities and powers. Uh, the word there in Greek is archonton. It's the same word that Jesus applies to Satan in, in John 12, the ruler of this world, Archonton. So he's referring to principalities and powers. And he says if these rulers had understood the wisdom of God, if they understood what God was up to when God became a human being and, 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 and let himself get crucified on the cross, if they knew what God was up to, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because it was that crucifixion that did them in. I, I, I can't get into the details of how this, how, how this, how, how this happened, but the, the, the cross, the love of God that was revealed on the cross is what caused the kingdom of darkness to, to implode and what then removed all obstacles between us and God so that the world can be reconciled to God. 
And yet, it was the powers using their say-so over human beings who were open to being influenced by them to bring about the crucifixion. They orchestrated the whole thing, and yet the whole thing backfired. The wisdom of God used their evil against them and caused the kingdom of darkness to self-implode. Now, we live in this in-betweens time. Uh, we talk about a lot here. We're, we're, it's in-between where the victory was accomplished on the cross and, and on the one hand, and when the, uh, the victory is fully manifested in creation, on the other hand. Uh, in principle, it's all been taken care of, and yet we don't yet see this in this world. We're in this in-between time. And part of the reason why we're in this in-between time is that it's the job of the church to be manifesting the victory of the cross and manifesting the kingdom of God in a world that does not yet acknowledge it. And in doing that, we help move the world in the right direction to the consummation of the age when God's will will be done fully on earth as it, as it is in heaven. And what we need to know is that in this in-between time that we're in, uh, the principalities and powers, as well as human beings, obviously, still have say-so that they can use at cross-purposes with God. They still have say-so to be able to thwart God's will for, for, for themselves and to interfere with God's will for others. And that includes sometimes being able to interfere with, the, with how and when and if prayer is answered. So the classic example of this is Daniel, Daniel 10. Uh, here, Daniel's this holy Jewish guy, and, and he's part of uh, Israel, and Israel is now in captivity in Persia. And Daniel starts to pray, uh, seeking the wisdom of God. He humbles himself. <laughs> he wants to know how is God going to deliver Israel out of this, the, the, this uh, land of Persia. And for 21 days, he prays, and he hears nothing. But then, this angel shows up. If you read Daniel 10, this angel was really freaky, fiery eyes and all sorts of other things. And, and, and in fact, it's so scary, Daniel passes out. Why, why, why don't angels be a little more considerate and modify how they appear to us so we don't freak out every time they show up? You find this throughout the Bible. The angels show up and everyone's terrified because they look hideous. They put on a mask or something. Gal. Why do they got to do it like that? And so, so the angel stands him on his feet and then says this, Daniel, do not fear. For from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard from the very first day. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, Michael is one of the only two angels that are mentioned by name in the Bible, he came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. It's this uh, prince of Persia is a, another principality in power that exercises a unique say-so over Persia, and he's using his say-so at cross-purposes with God. So this is a rebel power. And so for 21 days, Daniel hears nothing. Now, if we weren't given a little peekaboo behind the screen of heaven here, into the spiritual unseen realm, if we hadn't been given this, we would have no idea why it took 21 days for Daniel's prayer to be answered. And no doubt someone would come along and say, well, the sovereign God, his timing is always right on time. You know, I, nothing happens by accident. Everything is going according to plan. And they'd be wrong because it wasn't God's will for this to be delayed 21 days. Maybe other people would say, well, it must be that Daniel lacked faith for 21 days or he had sin in his life for 21 days. But there's nothing in the text that suggests such a thing. What we learn here is that the reason why it took 21 days it's because there is a principality in power who's got irrevocable say-so, who's using his say-so at cross-purposes with God and is interfering with this prayer being answered. Uh, this prince of Persia is out, his interest is in Persia, in the welfare of Persia. And, and this, he, he knows that this message could lead to the liberation of Israel out of Persia, and so he doesn't want that. So he's interfering with this. 
So there's this brouhaha in the spirit, unseen realm, and, and Michael, wherever, whatever else he was doing, he has to be reassigned over here uh, to help this angel out uh, to free him to deliver this message. It tells us that things in, in that realm, in this unseen realm, operate along the same kind of principles that things do in the, in, in the human realm, in the, in, in the physical realm. And it tells us that things go on in the unseen realm that we usually know nothing about, but that can interfere with prayer and affect other things that come to pass on, on, on this planet. The book of Job is all about this, and I don't have time to get into it. I wish I did, but it, it's all about things happen in the spiritual realm that can greatly affect what happens down here, but about which people know nothing. So when four kids pray for their young mother to be healed, and instead she dies, we can't just say, oh, it must have been God's will. Nor should we suggest that us kids... Others praying for her lacked faith, or that my mom lacked faith. Rather, in response to unanswered prayer, that is really in line with God's will, because it follows the pattern of, of Jesus' ministry for healing. But when, 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 when it doesn't, when the power that's released from our prayer is not able to accomplish what we request, we've got to get good at saying three words that Christians have a hard time saying. And that is simply, I don't know. I don't know. But it's important that we understand why we don't know. We don't know why this person could get healed and that person couldn't. Not because God, God's will is arbitrary or inscrutable and mysterious and, and, and can secretly ordain evil things even though he says he's all good or anything like that. No, we know God's will and character in the person of Jesus Christ. He reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's a good communicator. So you, you know God's character. You know God's basic will. Um, through the person of Jesus Christ. That we know. God we know. What we don't know is much of anything else. We live in this unfathomably complex war-torn creation um, that is populated with free agents, human and celestial. And, 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 and because we're free, we can go this way or that way. And, and every decision we make, to some degree, impacts others. Most of that we have no idea about. But all of that affects what comes to pass here on this earth. And, and in talking about the free agencies of humans and celestial beings, I'm only giving two variables that affect what come to pass in this world. In my book, Is God to Blame?, I list a number of other variables. So it's, it's far more complex than even this. But my point is that we have to humbly respect the complexity of this world and acknowledge all the things that we don't know. Some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with uh, chaos theory. George, you ever heard about chaos theory? I bet you have. Yeah, he's a scientist. Uh, the butterfly effect. Um, it's been proven that it could be the case that the reason why a hurricane hit Galveston, Texas, rather than Miami, Florida, or anywhere else, uh, is because of the flap of a butterfly wing in ta Taiwan three months earlier. Little butterfly wing. That little flap started having ripple effects that affected other things that affected other things, and that could be the decisive variable as to why uh, the hurricane hit Galveston rather than Miami. Now, so if someone was trying to explain, well, why did the hurricane hit Galveston instead of Miami or anywhere else? Well, to answer that question, you have to know every butterfly flap that's ever gone on, uh, which is impossible to do, which is why weather forecasting will always be an approximation. There are simply too many variables. We can't know all the things that factor into weather patterns. Can't monitor all that. It's beyond us. For the exact same reason. We can't know why anything unfolds exactly the way it does, including why prayer is sometimes answered and sometimes can't, can't be answered. It always releases the kingdom power. But it, sometimes it can bring about what we're praying for, and sometimes it can't. Why? 
There's too many variables. It's, it's, it's beyond our capacity to, to begin to imagine. Remember that behind every single fact, everything of fact in the world right now, behind every one of them is a chain of events leading up to it. Every event has a, has a prequel to it. And it goes back to the beginning of time. So to understand why anything is exactly the way it is, why anything happens the way it is, you'd have to, to do that in a comprehensive way, you'd have to know the entire history of the universe, the unseen realm and the physical realm, and every decision ever made, and the impact that that decision had on other decisions. Every single fact is like this. So here, here take a random uh, event. Uh, uh, why did I decide, uh, and I'm making this up because I don't remember dates, but why did I decide on, let's say, uh, July 17th, 2021, at 1.21 p.m. to cut my hair really short, to get rid of all of my cute curls, as one person told me. Oh, you got rid of all your cute curls. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm glad you like my hair. Um, why did I do that? Now, first of all, I have to say, if, 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 if that was a free event, if I was free in choosing that, and I think I was, then the prequel that leads up to this, we can't think of it as being exhaustively deterministic. Uh, we're free because we can, to some degree, transcend all the previous causes leading up to us. We get to choose this way or that way. But the line of causation leading up to us is, think of it in terms of a, a, a chain of events that influences and inclines things to go in a certain direction, but not as a cause that forces uh, thing to go in to be a particular way. So why did I shave my head off? And I shaved my head off. <laughs> I'd be even uglier if I did that. Um, but why, why, why did I cut my hair all down? Shave, shave my head. I, I tell you my motive. Hair is work, and I'm getting really lazy in my old age. <laughs> you know, the, the older I get, the thinner my hair got, and the thinner my hair got, the harder it was to fix it so it didn't look like it was getting thin. And so at some point, you come to the conclusion, you know, this game is not worth it, and who gives a rip what anyone thinks about your hair anyways? And so pfft, off it went. So that's my motive. But that doesn't explain why was it on July 17th at 1.21 p.m. That's, that's a fact, like a trillion, trillion other facts in this world. Uh, what can explain this? Well, this is, do a hypothetical walk on the, on the, on the prequel that led up to this. Uh, it could be the case that I... I I would, have cut, I would have shaved my head earlier, except that um, I got a call from a friend uh, who had a theological question. And, and this friend knows me because he was a student of mine at Bethel. Now, the student almost didn't go to Bethel. He was going to go to Tulane University or someplace. Uh, but his family for three generations has been sending their kids to Bethel, and he didn't want to break that pattern. Now, his family's been sending three generations to Bethel because they became Christians three generations ago and, and decided that their kids should go to a Christian college. And, and it, so it all goes back to great-grandpa Chester, Chester Boyd, who uh, was the first one in the family line to come to Christ at a revival in Kent, Ohio, uh, being preached by Billy Hubble. And so he comes to Christ. But the, one of the reasons he came to Christ, one of the things that opened him up to this is that he had for two years this wonderful Christian neighbor who was always showing him loving acts of kindness and, 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 and just displaying the Father's love. And unbeknownst to him, she'd been praying for him all that time. And because that prayer, prayer makes a difference, his heart was more open than it otherwise would be, and that could be the decisive thing that brought him to Christ. Had that woman not prayed, it could be the case that Uncle Chester would have remained a pagan, so it could be the case that he never went to Bethel, and I would never would have met this guy, he never would have called me for the question, and I would have shaved my head an hour earlier. <laughs> Think about that. In fact, 
as most of you know, because I talk about it too much, but if it wasn't for that moron ancestor of mine in the 11th century who kidnapped the feudal lord's daughter and, and, and turned the Boyd's name into being synonymous with being a scoundrel, if it wasn't for that, I probably would not be having thin hair, because I'm pretty sure we didn't start losing our hair until after we became scoundrels. Uh, that, that's, when we started, that's what happens when you're scoundrels. And so if it, was, if it wasn't for that moron ancestor of mine, I'd probably be having this full head of curly red hair, and I'd be sitting over in some castle in Scotland where, uh, where we used to live before we got kicked out. Boo, I'm going to therapy. I'll get over it one of these days, but I'm just saying, okay? But it shows the complexity of things. And that's just one decision in the 11th century. To understand everything about me, you'd have to understand the whole history of the prequel of influences that led up to me being me cutting my hair at 121 on July 17, 2021. Just the complexity of all this. So when four kids pray for a mom, and, 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 and the, yet the mom doesn't survive, we can't assume that it was God's will, and we can't say that, oh, the kids just lack faith or anything of the sort. We've got to say, I don't know. But we say, I don't know, not because we don't know who God is or what God's will is. Um, that's the one thing we do know. What we don't know is much of anything else. What we call knowledge is simply the snowflake on the tip of a very, 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 very large iceberg. And um, so we have no comprehension. So we, we experience life and we sometimes experience the answer to prayer as being totally random. Not because God's random, but because the world is. Populated with these three agents and all the variables that factor into what comes to pass. So, so here's the, the balance. On the one hand, we need to pray with urgency because it makes a big difference. It's our unique say-so in the spirit realm to bring about the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven. And things genuinely hang in the balance. And so we, we have to be a people who are, are committed to being prayer warriors. At the same time, we have to remember that prayer doesn't magically collapse all the other variables that um, factor into how things play out in this world. And we have to acknowledge that all those ver of those variables, we know next to nothing. We know that they are, but how they, how they influence what comes to pass is, is, is beyond us. And so we have to get good at saying, I don't know. Even as we get better at saying, but one thing I do know, and that is God is good all the time, because Jesus reveals them to be so. And, and, and our job is to trust that whether we can see it or not, our prayer is making a difference. It always releases a kingdom influence in this world. I don't believe there's any wasted prayer. And every one of those prayers moves the world a little bit closer to that consummation of the age when, when, when Jesus will return and bring about his kingdom in fullness. And now we'll see the victory of the cross fully manifested. And now there will be no more opposition to God's will. God's will will be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. Every square inch of the cosmos will reflect the beauty of God. Praise God. Maranatha, come quickly. I can't wait for that day to be here. Amen. So I want to I end with this. Uh, coming back full circle to my father and just kind of give this little testimony. Um, my father ended up coming to Christ. After three years of going back and forth, uh, he, he gave his, his, his life to Christ at the age of 74. Um, the next 10 years, it was, it was amazing to see the transformation that happened uh, to this man. Uh, it, it, was, it was beautiful, but it was also very difficult because soon after that, he began to have some health problems and he began to experience some strokes. And, and it, it eventually, and he had eye problems, ear problems, and uh, the last couple of years, he was almost totally blind, almost totally deaf, had a serious speech impairment, and was confined to a wheelchair. Um, I visited him in the hospital right after the stroke where he lost his ability to speak clearly. And um, as we were discussing some things, I, I just said to him, Dad, you know, you've got more time on your hands than I do and then that most people do. Um, so I would like to put that to good use if you're willing. 
And he said he, he was willing. So I said, well, would you be uh, my prayer warrior? Be covering me in prayer as much as possible. Not just me, but the family and my church. And, and I, I'd like to, whenever I have matters that, that need prayer, I'd like to share those with you. And, and, and you've got time to do this more than I do and more than, than most people do. But, uh, you know, God brings good out of evil. One good that can come out of this, this terrible thing that's happened to you with these strokes and stuff is that you've got time to pray. And um, he kind of jokingly said in his speech-impaired way that, you know, this is God's way of allowing him to make up for all the years where he never prayed. <laughs> so he's going to cram it all in the last couple of years of his life. But he became a prayer warrior. And it was, it was so endearing that he, um, at one point he says, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm honored to do this, but is it, is it okay with God if I don't always voice my prayers? Because talking is kind of hard for me. And, and, and can I just think them? And I said, oh, Dad, it's, it's fine just to think them. Uh, uh, God understands that. And it just, it was so touching that this, this man who was once so, you know, proud and, and arrogant, um, He's, he's now asking a child's question, and I just love the beauty and the innocence of it. My dad becomes a prayer warrior, and see, that itself is an answer to prayer, amen? Amen. Uh, so prayer is powerful and effective whether we see uh, its, its outcome or not. Praise God. All right, uh, we will have prayer up front. If you're here as part of the congregation and you have a matter that could use some prayer, our Face-masked prayer, prayer warriors will be up here and would love to pray with you. Or you can get online and, and uh, receive prayer that way. Um, on Tuesday, we've got the MuseCast, which takes you a little deeper into this message. And uh, then we have, at other times, these gathering groups that Shauna talked about. This is a topic that, that you know, could make for good fodder for discussion. Um, and so you might want to check out that. And if you're going to be here next week uh, in, in location, let us know ahead of time if you have kids so that we make sure we have enough uh, uh, children's workers to, to cover all the kids that are there. Abba, Father, we thank you for making us your partners. We believe in the power of prayer that is powerful and effective. Uh, we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we also realize, Lord, that we're a people who know next to nothing about this vast, complex world uh, and the unseen realm and how it affects things that come to pass. Uh, so, Lord, we uh, make us humble in saying, I don't know, but also make us bold in proclaiming what we do know, and that is that you are a God of love and goodness and grace and mercy and justice, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, and all of God's prayer warriors said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out, pray for your neighbors, love on the world.